0: Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, social justice and workers' stories. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. This is the last program for Stick Together for 2015. It is clear that 2016 is going to be a year of heightened attacks on workers' conditions, wages and union representation. Penalty rates are just the latest in the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry campaigns set to become government policy unless public response overturns their agenda. Before the battles of 2016 begin, at Stick Together we thought it was a good time to listen to an old union campaigner, Ian Jamo Jamison, Ian is talking about his days in the west coast of Tasmania where he was involved in union actions in the mining industry during the 1980s and 90s. He set the scene first.
1: Mining began on the west coast of Tasmania uh, really in the 1880s and 1890s with uh, prospectors, as I said, following the the, uh, very cold rivers and creeks up uh, beginning to find deposits on the surface of Marnie Silver at that time but later on uh, and uh, a whole range of different metals that are still being mined there today. It's an extremely rich uh, mineral, mineral field. Uh, if you look at the, the triangular map of uh, Tasmania, it's like a big horseshoe that goes from the west coast out into the Bass Strait and it comes back down into uh, somewhere r- around the northern area of the east coast where the Beaconsfield mine that you're probably familiar with is located. There are many, many things that have been, have been mined there and still being mined there: uh, gold, silver, lead, zinc, uh, copper, nickel, iron. So, uh, and the deeper they find, uh, the deeper they go in, the, in these mines on the west coast, uh, the richer it, it actually becomes. Although it becomes economically uh, a little bit more un, unviable. But there were thousands of people who followed these prospectors into the west coast, and uh, by the turn of uh, the beginning of the 20th century, uh, it was, uh, uh, the population exploded. in itself, one of the main towns on the west coast, uh, was the second largest city, uh, in, or second largest town, if you like, in Tasmania at that, at that particular time. But of all the prospectors, the thousands and thousands of pro- prospectors and the families that eventually followed them, uh, very few made it rich. Uh, the whole west coast is dotted with little, uh, little uh, mining edits, uh previously worked worked uh, uh, minefields and, and claims, but eventually, uh, over the years, it became amalgamated into, or it, as national capitalism. The, the smaller mines get either swallowed up by the big ones or peter out, and uh, you then really had about six or seven major towns on the west coast. When I came, uh, went to Tasmania, there were uh, the towns of C- uh, Queenstown, Zeon, Williamsford, Rosebury, uh, Tullar, uh, Waratah and Savage River. And the only other town that, that existed really was Strawn, which was more a, a, a port uh, than, than a, mining, a mining town. But even then, uh, two of those towns disappeared. Uh, and, sorry, there was another town, Renison Bell. Uh, Renison Bell and Williamsford disappeared almost completely uh, 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 when I was there and so there was only uh, two or three or four major towns that uh, that, that concern us as we, as we go into the 1980s as i said the mining communities itself because it was so isolated there in fact uh, the main form of transport and uh, was rail that they eventually uh, from light rail to uh, to tram tracks to uh, Small uh, narrow gauge rail- railway lines was the only way that uh, uh, people communicated on the west coast. The road from Queenstown to Hobart, uh, travelling distance of about six hours even now, uh, was only built in the 1930s, and the road north uh, uh, was only built uh, in the 1960s. In fact, there's a saying in Roseby, if you ever get the sack in Roseby, that, uh, that you have to count the sleepers. Uh, because that's the only way that you got in and out of town. And it, uh, even then, even now, it, uh, the isolation is so severe that uh, only a couple of months ago, Rosebury was was blocked off. Uh, Rosebury's only got one road through it. Uh, it was blocked off uh, for a week with the with the snowfalls that that, it, that occurred there. So, people on the west coast, the generations that grew up on the west coast, look to each other uh, rather than to Hobart for some sort of social secure uh, and for a means to uh, redress the injustice that, that had existed in the mines, uh, and it was combined with—I'm jumping ahead a little bit—combined uh, with the uh, development of the labour labour movement, the union movement in Tasmania. The West Coast miners were virtually ignored by uh, the, the, particularly the, the Tasmanian Trades and Labour Council, which was dominated by the. Very small craft unions at the uh, the National Civic Council, the DLP, if people remember that at all, uh, and because of their domination of smaller craft unions, and there was very little industry elsewhere in uh, Tasmania, uh, they were able to, to dominate the uh, uh, the Labour Council, and they completely ignored. They just didn't want, to, just couldn't be bothered, uh, even travelling up to the west coast to try and try and get people into the unions. Uh, some of the major unions that uh, uh, the, the, the unions that did exist in the West Coast and still exist in the West Coast are predominantly the, uh, the Australian Workers' Union, uh, the AWU, Australia's worst union, as is often called, uh, and then you, we had a num- number of other unions that uh, are, some are still around: uh, the ETU, the AMWU. Uh, we also had the Federated Engine, Engine Drivers and Firemen's Association, the FEDFA, that became part of the. CFMU later on. So even though we, they were union members, they were, uh, tended to look to their own people in towns uh, for, for guidance and for uh, for a lead in any sort of industrial struggles. And those industrial struggles in Rosebury uh, began to explode uh, in the early 80s. In 1982, there was uh, massive retrenchments in the mine uh, and that meant that uh, a lot of the families had to shift out. Remember, Rosebury... The whole town was owned by the EZ mining companies. Each house was owned by the by the, uh, by the company. If you got the sack or made redundant, you were given a letter saying you've got one month to get out uh, and there's no other housing in, in Roseby, so it naturally meant that uh, people had to count the sleepers on the way up, up to Burnie and Devonport. Uh, because uh, yeah. So with the uh, retrenchments that occurred in 1982... Uh, it set a very bad taste in the, in the mouth of uh, the Rosebury miners. At Rosebury at that stage, there were about 2,500 people there. About 700 uh, worked in the mine or the mill uh, in, in Rosebury. So the uh, the traditional domination of the AWU, because of its numbers and because of its uh, industrial uh, might underground uh, that uh, became broken down with the with the uh, intervention of people such as Jock Ferguson, who was an FEDFA uh, loco driver underground. Uh, he uh, set up the combined union. He and others set up the combined union council, which meant that every union could be represented, and they made sure that the AWU didn't dominate it uh, uh, by saying that each each union has an equal amount of votes, and with the leader of the. Uh, at that time, John Ackley, leader of the AWU, who was uh, a very good militant, probably right-wing in his politics, but uh, he just hated the boss and would do anything. He was more and a left-right-wing politician, if you like, that uh, would do anything to, to, to upset the boss. So in uh, 1983, things came to a head with the, with the mining company. They were... Uh, perhaps I should describe Roseby a little, little bit more. These towns on the West Coast... That, uh, the distinction between of class distinction is very, very real. Uh, there were two pubs in Rosebery the top pub and the bottom pub. Uh, if you were a worker, you drank at the bottom pub. You would not be seen at the top pub where the where management and the staff uh, were, were congregated. So down at the bottom pub, uh, you, you had uh, each night there was a rollicking, if there wasn't a brawl, there would be a, a rollicking uh, time down at the bottom pub with, with uh, workers there. Uh, who were feeding off each other and uh, had the opportunity to, to socialise and begin to explain all the problems that they were facing in their, in that their, their particular job. Uh, yeah. So in 1983, uh, things came to a head and there was a, 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 a strike that occurred over the, tr- the attempt by the company to sack uh, three casual workers. might not sound much of an issue, but uh, the strike itself became a very big issue. Uh, it, uh, because the ore from uh, Rosebery, the, the silver-lead sink ore, was basically transported up, up the railway up to Burnie and shipped down to Hobart to the, to the refinery at uh, the EZ Smelters in, in, in Hobart. So in order to be effective, and if you really want to go into the whole issue around the strike, there's a, a very good book written by Renfrew Clark about the 1983 strike and the, and, the, and the characters that were involved in it, Uh, But in order to win this strike, if they knew that it wasn't just a question of walking off the job in Rosebery. they had to set up a picket down in uh, in Hobart uh, to stop the the zinc being uh, smelted down there. And this was a massive job. Remember, uh, Hobart was six hours away. uh, And to get a picket going on a a 24-hour basis for six weeks uh, required an enormous amount of organisation and determination by, by the Roseby miners, and they were successful in the end. Uh, there are many, many stories that uh, I could perhaps perhaps elaborate on, even though I wasn't there, but uh, when I got there soon after, there were um, many good stories about the picket line. One of my favourites is, is a little... It uh, was a friend of mine, uh, uh, Brian Smith, a very small man. Uh, but He was a boxer, and he was afflicted with uh, stuttering all his life. Uh, which is an unfortunate thing, and uh, everyone got used to that. But uh, when the final days of the picket came in, uh, in Hobart and the cops were lining up and the farmers were trying to get their trucks in to, to get the, uh, uh, the superphosphate, uh, all of a sudden Brian's uh, stuffing disappeared altogether. If you fucking come any closer, coppers, I'll fucking knock your block off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're on Stick Together, where we focus on social justice and workers' stories, Today, we're listening to Ian Jamison about his days as a union official on the west coast of Tasmania during the 1980s and 1990s. It's incredibly interesting to go back in time and hear the uh, struggles that uh, people engaged in face-to-face with employers.
1: The next major issue that came up, or was an issue that was bubbling along the surface, was uh, the first time we began to engage with the uh, state government and the uh, union hierarchy down, directly down in, in Hobart uh, was uh, around the question of workers' compensation, which were abysmal in, in Tasmania at that, at that time. The Trade and Labour Council did have a, a very lukewarm campaign of lobbying and negotiating with uh, the grey government about improving the workers' compensation, but, but without going into a uh, long story, the, uh, uh, the argument was that uh, people on compensation uh, when they eventually got the compensation, uh, they would to get, get average earnings uh, which did not uh, uh, please the miners at all because of their contract, contractual arrangements. It would, meant that they would have lost uh, lost money out of that. So we weren't going to have uh, anything to do with that in, in Rosebery, and we began to take up the cudgels against uh, uh, the Labor movement down in Hobart. The first time we ever locked horns with uh, the full Labor Council uh, in Hobart, we sent delegations down there to plead with them uh, for the case, case for the miners, uh, and by and large it, it was ignored. So we said well, I think things have got to change about that. So we started we started withdrawing our labour again and raised we, uh, around the question of workers' compensation. Uh, we were vilified from uh, pillar to post. Uh, these miners, you know, the greedy miners, they uh, they want to upset all the negotiations that uh, the, the Trade and Labour Council had carefully prepared about getting. Uh, 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 Bringing up workers' compensation to average earnings, uh, but we held held fat. Uh, and uh, when the, I remember going down to Hobart one time with uh, three or four of us, and all of a sudden it was to come up in the Legislative Council, of the Upper House, about the changes in the legislation, and we were very fearful that the next morning, this was about six o'clock at night, the next morning there would be uh, uh, the, the Legislative Council, which is a very conservative uh, outfit at the best of times we're going to vote against, uh, vote for the legislation and uh, penalise the the miners. So we were sitting down there wondering what we're going to do at six o'clock in Hobart. Uh, So we said, well, we'll uh, we'll go for broke and see how many many we can get down. We made frantic calls back up to Rosemary uh, to come down and to uh, have a rally outside Parliament and to participate in in the negotiations in in our own way. Uh, So we had a... A sleepless night that night, by about four or five in the morning the uh, Roseby Miners, came down and uh, ended up having, uh, I think, about 50 miners who drove all night uh, to get down to uh, the Legislative Council. Uh, by the time we walked into the Legislative Council the next morning, I think uh, the protesters in the, in the uh, uh, visitors' boxes were, were uh, outnumbered the, the politicians and they, they buckled and uh, we eventually won the, won the issue. It was recognised even by the Robin Gray government at that time uh, who was pushing uh, around the question of workers' compensation. In a very deliberate move, he decided to announce that he would include uh, the miners' earnings in in any sort of workers' compensation deal in the legislation. And he uh, brought a press entourage up down to the bottom pub in Rosebery to to announce to the world that uh, Robin Gray was really on the side of the miners'. Uh, which really pissed off the, uh, the Tasmanian Trades and Labour Council, who'd spent years trying to uh, uh, negotiate a uh, pretty pretty ordinary deal with with uh, uh, the Liberal government at, at that particular time. Uh, the funny thing was that uh, when Robin Gray was in the in the bottom pub, uh, announcing to the world that uh, he was he, he was really a friend of the miners and so on, and uh, he turned around to, to me and the others in the Uh, Combined Union Council said, Well, I suppose that means we'll get your vote now. (laughs) I I told him, Fuck off. All you'll get is another fight coming down the road. You just bring it on. And of course, this is in front of the assembled press. (laughs) (laughs) I I never got on with uh, Rob McGray after that, to be honest.
0: (laughs) You're listening to Stick Together Workers' Stories and Union News. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You're on Stick Together, where we are focusing on a story given to us by Ian Jamison, who was speaking at the uh, SALT Conference in 2015. Ian Jamison's talking about his day as a union official on the west coast of Tasmania during the 1980s and 1990s. And uh, as we gear up in 2016 to a very uh, rigorous va- battle between uh, employers and the workers, we also have to face the implications of governmental connection to uh, boss, bosses' policies, as they did in this story on the west coast of Tasmania.
1: I should really go into a, uh, another issue that uh, has had been bubbling along. We were fine... Looking after ourselves in Rosebury, given the uh, the climate that existed, uh, if you like, the industrial climate that existed, there was no EBA's. We had virtually told uh, the AWU the officials we just did, did not want them in town. Uh, a- a- actual fact there was a couple lines drawn on the road, paint lines drawn on the road, uh, north and south of uh, Rosebury, to say this is as far as uh, AWU officials go. Uh, you're not to come in, not to come into town at all. Uh, but on other issues, it was important for us to, to, uh, to recognise the, uh, the role of the unions in, in town. Because there's no government infrastructure in town in Rosebury at all, uh, there was a hospital and there was the schools, I guess, but there was nothing else at all that uh, uh, anyone could take any of their grievances to. Uh, so it, uh, the only organisation in town that had some sort of fighting power with regard to the, the government was the, uh, was the combined union council. So you not only took on the, the role of uh, being an industrial advocate uh, on the job, you also have to take up a whole range of different issues, whether it's uh, uh, social issues as well. Um, have to take up the question of uh, violence against women because there was no shelter at all for, for, for women. So those complaints came, and against our own members too, Quite a few of those issues came through the, came through the combined union council. Whole, whole range of different issues. Uh, one of them was a new cop in town uh, who would, was booking people for uh, uh, on the main street for parking a foot over where the, the parking lots were. Uh, there was uh, uh, so the secretary of the combined union council had to, uh, to confront the cop uh, and tell him to uh, not, not to, this is not the way things go in, uh, in Rosebury. But there was an issue that uh, was very important uh, and that's the question of uh, the Roseby Hospital. On the west coast, uh, the, because of its isolation in particular, but it's also a very dangerous, uh, dangerous industry, industry to be in. There was no code of practice. The only way you learnt mining uh, was to go underground and really fend for yourself and if you're lucky uh, some of the older miners would, would uh, sit you down and begin to explain even the, the lie of the land. Uh, and that's the way that everyone began to learn uh, learn about uh, working underground uh, they attempted to try and, at one stage the company attempted to try and uh, uh, say that single parties underground were, were quite legitimate and we've successfully fought that for uh, all the time i was in the, in the rosemary mine uh, where you looked after your mate and it was a very very solid solid uh, rapport that, that existed uh, amongst miners that you look, did look after your mate you you looked at, looked, at, looked at the ground that uh, they were moving in and they'd look out, look out to you as well. But being a dangerous industry, uh, the many, many deaths have occurred and still occurring uh, underground in, in, uh, on, on the West Coast. Uh, it should not happen. It is a dangerous industry, but we, uh, there should be far more uh, controls over, over health and safety uh, of miners. People may be aware, right from the very beginning in, in of mining on the West Coast, many tragic accidents have occurred. The, the biggest one was when 42 miners were killed uh, in an underground fire in Queenstown in 1912, uh, which is still marked uh, uh, every year with with, uh, with respect. But outside the Renaissance Bell Mine, which is 10 minutes down the road from Rosebery, there's a little memorial. Uh, the Renaissance Bell Mine was one of the first of the trackless mines that uh, started up. Uh, and the memorial uh, that started in the 1960s, the memorial that, that I first saw in uh, 1984, 85 uh, had 11 miners that, that were killed underground. Uh, in my time in, in Rosebury, there were another three or four who were killed underground in, Ren- in Renison. For every major town had a hospital. Queenstown, Zeon, there was a hospital in Rosebury, an old dilapidated weatherboard thing, uh, and then there was a, a good clinic up in, in Savage River. The importance of the, of the hospital was, was made very clear in 1986-87, uh, when the nurses came and approached, approached the combined union council saying that the hospital is, is uh, targeted for closure. Uh, and we said, that's just no way. Uh, and the excuse was, well, we just don't have the money to keep, keep a small hospital going. No concern, it's all about uh, minors. It's an hour and three quarters to Burney, the nearest hospital, and that's if there wasn't snow on the ground or a uh, problem. So if you had an accident underground, an ambulance would take an hour and three quarters to get to, to Rosebery, and an hour and three quarters to get back to, uh, to Burnie. Uh, we said, well, that's just, uh, that's just absolutely ludicrous. We want somewhere where if someone is injured underground, they could be stabilised at least. Uh, and they said, well, we can get helicopters in. And I said, you, you just, they do not understand the West Coast at all. Particularly in winter, you've got no chance of getting a helicopter and you can't get uh, anything into, into road at that particular time. Our hospital will not go. So, we had a, a big campaign involving the community, and this was a, a great campaign around the question of the hospital. Uh, we said, Our hospital's not going, and they said, Well, it's old. We said, We'll build a new one. Uh, oh, that's more expenses, more expenses, and uh, we began to fight with the with the Gray government over that. The Liberal government, and we continued that fight against the very the very same people when the Labor Green uh, government came came into power as well. Uh, there were many many rallies that we held in town. Mass meetings were held in town. A town of two and a half thousand people, you get several hundred several hundred turning up uh, for these for these rallies. Uh, all these bureaucrats uh, came up to try and convince the, the staff at the hospital that their jobs uh, were gone. Uh, we had one one poor bastard from the Department of Health uh, turn up uh, on a very grey, bleak, misty morning. The hospital was right next to the mine, and uh, to his absolute horror, uh, he saw all these flickering lights uh, as he's negotiating with with the nurses and the, and the staff at the hospital. Uh, all the miners walking out from underground. Uh, it must have looked like zombies uh, to him just walking out from underground with the with their, uh, uh, cap lamps on. Uh, and we held him up for about four or five hours until he signed an agreement that he would take take our concerns back to uh, to the government, to uh, the D- Department of Health. But it wasn't only the question of the hospital in Roseby that, that was uh, uh, a problem. There was a lot of social problems that had come up after uh, years or well, decades of neglect by successive governments. So we began to uh, canvass the idea of having a rally in, in, in Hobart uh, and bringing all the West Coast down, down to Hobart. Now, remember, the West Coast, the population, I think there were about 3,500 in Zeehan, less than 2,000 in... in uh, 3,500 in Queenstown, sorry, 2,000 in uh, Zian... Two and a half thousand in, in Rosebery, Tullo maybe a few hundred, uh, by that time Williams had to closed down, uh, store and a couple, couple of hundred people, so it was really only about 8,000 people. Savage River was probably about 500, uh, really only about eight, uh, 8,000 people who worked and uh, lived on the west coast. Uh, and we began then to work with other unions. We began to organise this rally down in Hobart, uh, and that was a massive thing because would have, it took everyone uh, to turn up uh, in in Hobart uh, at least a six or seven hour drive, uh, so it really was an overnight thing, that, uh, and we had to try and organise that. Yes, we got two thousand people uh, from the west coast out of eight thousand down to this rally rally in Hobart, and that really shook the foundations of the, of, the, of the government, that's of the Robin Gray government. We drove a stake, a mining stake, into Parliament. We set up a miners' embassy, uh, which we. Uh, Uh, staff for the next week Uh, cut a long story short they uh, not only backed off in in their uh, willingness to to uh, shut down the Rosebery Hospital they actually built a new hospital uh, right next to it and that was opened up uh, a year later on so it was a very big victory for us
0: That's it for Stick Together it's the last program for 2015 let's hope you have a happy and safe summer season thanks to you for listening stick together is produced at 3cr studios in melbourne and broadcast nationally on the community radio network the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 my name's annie mclaughlin catch you next time